Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tate Cast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. I am here with what I am comfortable saying is the best episode to date of the show. This interview that uh, I conducted with Keegan Abdu from NFL Next Gen Stats is easily the most informative and most illustrative example of what this podcast is all about about learning, about figuring out why things happen, and I really think that all of the listeners to this show will appreciate what Keegan has to say, his path to getting where he is in life. I mean, this dude is a grinder, and uh, honestly, if you have negative feedback to this episode, uh, I would be I would be shocked. Uh, if you do like this episode, of course, please leave a rating and review on iTunes, and there's actually uh, a second half of this show that is on the Patreon only. If you want to listen to it, there will be a link to it in the description to this show. Of course, the Patreon uh, exists. Um, You can support at whatever dollar level you want. At the $5 a month level, you get every episode uh, ad-free. You get at least one bonus episode per week. There has been three bonus episodes this week as you are listening, and uh Best of all, you help out uh, you help out your boy. But after a quick advertisement, we are going to get right into the show. Daily Roto is a mostly proud sponsor of the Takecast, a mostly sports podcast. Takecast listeners can save ten percent at Daily Roto with the promo code Janis J A N I S. If you are playing on DraftKings or FanDuel, Daily Roto will help you improve your daily fantasy results this fall and save time in the process with lineup optimizers, ownership projections, fantasy projections, premium content, and much more. They have all the good stuff that you want to help you make money at sports betting and daily fantasy. Their new lineup optimizer will let you build optimal GPP teams with stacks based on their projections faster than I can punt money off betting on Peter Uline. Sure, you can play the guys that I recommend each week, but shouldn't you also get advice from a proven daily fantasy winner like Drew Dinkmeyer? Yes, I do have better hair than Drew, but I also have his cell phone number, and that makes me a winner almost as much as it makes him a winner of the DraftKings Millionaire Maker. And it's not just fantasy. They have tools to bet on player props, golf matchups, and a customizable NFL game simulator for this fall. Save 10% with promo code Janice today. All right, everyone, we are joined by uh, a very special guest, uh, Keegan Abdo, Abdo, Abdo. Abdo, Abdo. Abdo. From yeah. uh, Next Gen NFL Stats, this is a this is a this is a pretty big get because I don't think that uh, you guys at Next Gen, I don't really think you guys do a ton of media appearances. Yeah, we don't. Uh, I definitely had to jump through some hoops, but uh, in the end, they were really um, conducive to it and uh, just you know made sure I was saying the right things and everything and not giving away you know trade secrets and can't give away the special sauce exactly but they were uh my my department's awesome and they gave me a lot of uh good advice on how to handle it and everything and 
we're good. We're here now. Basically, what we're saying is that Roger Goodell had to sign off on this edition of the TakeCast. <laughs> That's like more or less. Uh, not quite. I'm not that important, but yeah, sure. So why why football? How did you end up? What's uh what's what's the Keegan story? How did you end up here? How did you end up working for Next Gen? Um. So yeah, I mean, uh, ever since it's probably like around fourth grade when I started playing junior football, um, I was fascinated by the game. I loved it. Um, I was always pretty bad at it, but, uh, sure. luckily I was pretty good at, uh, math. So I figured probably like in middle school, that might be my ticket in. Um, so yeah, uh, started doing like studies, um, anytime I could for a school project or whatever. Um, when I w- was looking at colleges, I actually like would email the coaches and make sure that I could work for the team in some sort of way. Um, so yeah, at Vanderbilt, I worked in the football office under James Franklin for two years, um, and then I had an internship uh, with the Craft Sports Group on the marketing side. But I was working in the Patriot Stadium, which was cool. Um, I interned at the NFL legal office in the broadcasting department, uh, heading into my senior year of college, uh, which was a really cool, great experience working with ratings and stuff. Got to see how all that and the schedule is made and everything, which is really cool. Um, and then, but, you know, I studied econ in college. I didn't have stats. Um, sure. yeah. So that was my closest thing. I did a independent study on, like, Pythagorean win expectations and finding, like, a gamma value based on season and everything for NFL. But, yeah, eventually uh, – went to Sloan, um, the conference a bunch of years. I think I've been six years in a row. And, uh, one year I met a guy who was a Vanderbilt alum who worked, uh, for the Browns on the business side. Um, and he said, Hey, like forward me your resume. Um, I'll make sure it gets to the right people. Um, and sure enough in like October, six months later, I got an email from, uh, the director of pro scouting. And he was like, Hey, do you want to, uh, be part of this charting project um and i did the testing got it i was one of i don't know how many it was pretty anonymous i never even met my boss it was yeah. all remote but it was really cool uh charted college games um and college players uh and that's what really started getting me into like the film side of things um which and it was a great opportunity uh and then that summer i was uh interviewing with Falcons and also SIS um, and the Falcons was kind of like an unsure situation if they were going to offer someone something so I took the SIS job which ended up being like the best choice of my life um, at SIS uh, was a video scout for the first six months um, did charted like 40 hours a week but tried to get involved in a bunch of other things outside of my uh responsibilities started doing research for the off the charts football podcast um with my former boss matt and aaron chats uh and helped with the injury database um and maintaining that and uh and started to learn teach myself sql through that and was able to leverage that hard work into a uh rd uh, internship with them which is great um, dude this is such and, a grind i'm like just imagining myself doing all of this work and i'm just like exhausted even just like thinking about it yeah i'm 26 how old are you 
I'm 24, so. So, yeah, years, so you've accomplished say. more, and, like, you, like, got more done yeah. in college than I've, like, done in my entire life. Like, I'm exhausted, like, recording, like, two podcasts in one day. I'm just like, oh, can't even imagine how much work this is. Yeah, I mean, trust me, there's a lot of procrastinating along the way and everything, but once I got my chance, really with SIS and in an office environment is what allowed me to really take the next step, especially because I was living in Allentown, Pennsylvania, so literally I had nothing else to do but work um, yeah but grind grind football film yeah but um so that was an awesome experience um but yeah uh then i saw the next gen um job posted and oh i forgot to add that i worked for zebra my senior year for titans home games um so ever since then uh which is another job i pretty much got from the sloan conference so Sloan is good for networking. <laughs> yeah, so if you're trying to get, trying to, if you want this job, if you want, if you want to be working in sports data, that's the place to be. Apparently, uh, it was. I mean, it's definitely blown up a little bit, and I don't know if it's the same as it was at the time. Um, and luckily, I got to go for free for the first few years because I was family friends with a, a sponsor. But um, yeah, uh, it's uh, it's been really good to me, and. Um, I've been fascinated with like this zebra data um, ever since I was logging the on-field events at Titans games. Um, so I started coming up, compiling a list of like studies and stuff I'd want to do if I ever got access. And then I saw the job pop up. I'm like, Oh, I definitely should apply to this. And they called me back. It was compared to my interviewing processes with some teams and stuff. It was very quick to the point three interviews in nine days and the offer was the next week. So that was nice and refreshing. Um, and it was a hard choice to leave SIS to be honest. Um, I love the people there. I was, it was cool to be part of like a growing, uh, small business that had just made a deal with ESPN to give them college data. And was we like, were, we were spreading. partners with, we were partners with baseball info solutions, which I think yeah. related. So at fantasy insider four, four years ago, we were, we were partners with them. They, they like made like a baseball projection model for us based off all their batted ball stuff. Yeah. Um, BIS was started in 2003 by John Dewan who founded stats Inc too. Um, he, is still the CEO, but they moved in fo- to football and became Sports Info Solutions, so SIS. Yeah. Uh, in 2015, and they pretty much took over uh, Football Outsiders' external charting operation. Um, but it was really cool to be there for a year and see the product grow and just get a lot better. Um, so it was hard to turn that down, and they offered me like a full time position, but I had to get a chance to work with this next gen data. So. Yeah, I took I this mean, and it's it's, it's, it's been the incredible. cool. It's easily the coolest data out right now. Like those those play charts that you guys all have access to that you can post on Twitter, where it it diagrams the play from. Oh, the, it's amazing! I mean, I can't post it on Twitter, but you know, what, we what, just got a Twitter account and Mike, they can. Mike Rank is he uh, Adam Rank. Adam Rank. Or, yeah. And uh, Nick Shook post them a lot. We send them to the talent and they can post it, or and we just got our own Twitter account, so we yeah. can post it from there now. But there was a lot of. Uh, They're so good that it like brings that. me back to like when I remember learning about football when I was like eight years old, reading like every like book about football that the public yeah. had, and just being like mind blown about all of it. And now it's like going through it all again because you could just see everything actually like in a it's, whole different light. 
it's the coolest thing ever. And like, yeah, just being able to see that for any play, it's real. And like, I'm, one of my favorite things that I've noticed in the play diagrams, especially when you're looking at like the Chiefs or the Rams or something, is like how much like, or even like on the shitty. I love Lamar Jackson. I hate that they're using him that way. But like the plays where he's going in jet motion, like yeah, so you can see on those diagrams that like two or three defenders are getting horizontally displaced, which just turns like an eight-man box into a six-man box. And it's like, it's really cool to see like the scheme side from that. Or on uh, Drew Brees' touchdown pass the other day, uh, where you can see Josh Norman like vacate his deep third, whether it was a miscommunication or something. But it, you could definitely tell that the coverage was supposed to be cover three, but Josh Norman jumps on a swing route by Kamara because he goes in motion. And then Traquan Smith is wide open down the sideline. That's the that's yeah. the oldest play in the book. That's the that's the mesh play. You send you send the yeah. wide receiver deep and the running back on the wheel route behind him. That play is undefeated. I love yeah. that play is like what I love about football the most. Uh, yeah. So this is a, that's a good kicking off point. So of all the primary the pro- the proprietary stuff that you guys have at Next Gen, kind of what was like the most startling revelation you had where you were like wow this is nuts like no one else knows this except for the people in this office right here yeah um i guess like i'll start out just by saying like just it's amazing how vast this data is like and see like you always think about it like oh they have location on every play and like speed on every play but like seeing like the depth of that and like we're really just scratching the surface we're three years in and like it's just going to keep exploding. And like, we're at the very tip of the iceberg, like just the untapped potential is awesome. Right. Um, and like, I guess like to answer this question, I should probably clarify a little bit, like what my role is yeah. um, with next gen. So like I'm a researcher, so I'm, uh, you know, t- taking, I'm uh, operating in the dashboards and kind of putting together uh, research notes um, for NFL network talent. And then also like our broadcast partners um, each week on like interesting storylines and stuff. Um, and we're trying to, you know, we're focused on the media side. So it's like, how can we tell this best story that will resonate with a bunch of people? Right. Yeah. So like, I often have to be talked down from like doing like really like advanced, like, Oh, well this team, like Todd Gurley in 2016, ran from uh, shotgun this percent of the time. And once uh, McVay took over, they moved him to single back this percent of the time. And he lined up on average this depth from behind. And like, he was able to hit the line of scrimmage at like nine miles per hour instead of like eight miles per hour, which has led to him being more successful on running the ball. But like, it just gets too in the weeds and it would never make a TV segment. So like, I need to be talked down to like kind of simplify it. And which is good because I definitely can get too deep sometimes, which is fun. But for most people and like the purposes of most media, that's counterproductive. Um, But in terms of like uh, introducing these high level ideas and these models, like expected completion percentages and stuff, um, you need to be able to like explain it in a concise, understandable terms. Um, So it doesn't just like bounce around the analytics 
Twitter uh, echo yeah, chamber that we're in. Have, uh, people have a real trouble with uh, with expected anything. They have trouble with yeah. inputs and like what it means. That, that's true in baseball, basketball, yeah. like whatever. Like just in general, when you when you make it theoretical, when you say like, well, this should happen this percentage of the time, people have real real problems with that. Yeah, absolutely. And like, I came in with a bunch of st- like, as I mentioned before, with a bunch of like ideas for studies and stuff, but like that's an off season task. And like, we're getting into the point where like we're grooving the season and like our, we're hitting our the responsibilities that we have to, where we have time to like write these articles or start coming up with ideas for developing new metrics. But, but for now, most of it's focused on like the stuff that we have right now and trying to flesh that out. Um, but uh, for the actual two models that we have released um, that our engineers have developed, I think uh, the completion probability model and like the insights from it are really fascinating. And um, my favorite part um, might've been just um, the relationships between each of the features yeah. and completion percentage. Um, so like uh, there was one graph that we had in that, which was a scatter plot of uh, bin scatter plot of distance from the sideline and completion percentage. Um, and it showed that the passes are pretty evenly distributed across the field, but there's a, it's pretty much, um, it starts out, I forget exactly where, but like it starts out in the middle of the field and then it actually goes up. So the highest completion, uh, Highest likelihood of having a completion is actually around the numbers, which is I think an interesting. Not um, not the hashes, but like like. Uh, not the hashes, side. but like yeah. actually the numbers. It's not the hashes, not in the middle of the field, uh, but the numbers is where it starts to has this little like increase, and then once you get to about like five yards from the sideline, so it's usually like three or four yards in from the numbers. That's when it starts to just like fall off a cliff. Um, and yeah, just those seeing are, those, those relationships, worst, those are the worst routes. Those are like comebacks yeah. and like skit, like hitch routes and stuff. Like those are very inefficient routes. And it was interesting to see, uh, I, I created some, uh, automated passing heat maps when I was at SIS, just based on like our general location, uh, of targets. Um, and I was looking at the top five quarterbacks in this year's draft. Um, and, looking at their different distributions and like Josh Allen threw 53% of his passes outside the numbers. Yeah. To and like right, the next right to the, like right 39. To the yeah. Which is just like, he, it kind of contextualizes like maybe it's him, maybe it's the offense, but they were asking him to do a lot harder and less efficient throws, um, which I thought was an interesting uh, development, especially once I got this information as well. Um, but yeah, uh, like you can find all those charts in, um, the article, but, uh, I th- thought those were some of the most interesting stuff from that. And, um, another thing that, uh, we didn't release, but I just wanted to touch on real quick is that, um, you would think that there's like a pretty high, uh, that air yards and target separation are pretty related, like because They're of all these dump offs and no. stuff. They're not. No, no, like it's more of like a L-shaped distribution with like a little hump in the middle. It's almost like, I don't know, like an arrowhead that's pointing towards zero and you have like the little stem of it coming out. It's like, it's a very weird distribution that's not linear at all. And 
it's definitely not like what you would expect. Well, the um, the, the top five in guys uh, in in that cushion, uh, like at the catch point, it's an amazing list. The top five yeah. are Kiki Cutie, Jakeem Grant, my boy, Katie Westbrook, and then it's Jeff Swaim and Austin Hooper. Which yeah, like, you're like, what are the? And then like the next eight names on the list are tight ends too, which actually to me says it's like a scheme thing. Like those guys are only getting targets when like they're like straight up uncovered or, or the play has moved them to where no one is even around them at all. Whereas yeah. Westbrook, Cutie, th- those guys are creating a separation themselves. And something I, I have looked at um, in terms of like Dak and like how he threw a lot of tight window throws last year and like how losing uh, Des Bryant and Jason Witten might change that for the better or for worse um was that like if you're like there's definitely a positional thing where passes to running backs have the lowest tight window throw percent and the highest separation and then it goes tight ends and then it goes receivers which makes intuitive sense but yeah that kind of goes with what you were saying um and then i think my favorite observation that came out of uh the xcomp stuff was something my coworker mike band tweeted about um he noticed that the average uh, open throw percent, which is when a receiver has over three yards of separation, has steadily increased over the past three years from 36.6% uh, to 38.7% to 42.2%. The tight window throw percent, um, which is less than one yard of separation, mm-hmm. uh, has steadily decreased from 19.3% to 17.6% to 15.7%. And as a result, you can see this in the, expected completion percentage at the NFL average is risen um, by about an insane two percentage points per year. So it was 61.3 in uh, 2016, 63.9 in 2017, and 65.5 this year so, uh, so far. But that was like a few weeks ago. But yeah, even still. It, so what, do you, what, do you, what is your conclusion from that? Is it, is it the rules um, change? Is it play callers getting better? Quarterbacks? Have- I think it's play callers. I yeah, mean, I think there's, there's been an explosion in – these, you know, uh, motions and spread concepts and RPOs where, um, like the, the, the completion percentage on like a scale from 1970 now is like broken. It's like, just keeps, it rises every year. And what's really cool about this is it contextualizes it. It's not just people who are performing better. It's just making easier throws. Like the air yards goes down. The air yards actually, I think stays pretty stable. But like they're throwing it, they're scheming guys open more. And um, I think that one thing that um, one interesting development uh, of the past few years uh, compared to like the decade beforehand is that I think quarterbacks are inherently less risky at the top of the draft now because coaches aren't trying to fit them into a square hole and they're borrowing a right, bunch trying of college to make concepts. Like, oh, this quarterback yeah. has to run my plays. If they don't run my plays, then I'm just going to chuck them aside for some bit. Yeah. It's like, what if Mike Vick was drafted in today's day and age instead of back then when they were trying to fit him into West Coast offense? Like, it just, it's interesting to see um, for sure. I'm, Vic would have been – Vic was good – West Coast offense actually kind of fits his his play his style all right because it gets him on the move a lot and he wasn't like hyper accurate or anything. Yeah, um, I was thinking of more like how he excelled once he got Morningweg in like 2010 and like and compared to like his earlier coaches who just like 
were trying to kind of, they weren't really taking advantage of his athleticism as much as maybe they could have. Yeah, for sure. Um, so that, uh, that kind of caps off the expected completion. Um, another thing that you guys have out there is uh, expected yards after the catch. And that's like really interesting to me because I got my start and all of this fantasy stuff really looking at wide receivers and just like having yeah. like very strong opinions as to like what kind of wide receivers add value to the NFL teams. Because people think of like, oh, running backs either are really good or they just get what are blocked. And then they don't think about wide receivers that way. But like it is, yeah. kind of, it is kind of hard to be a bad slot wide receiver, right? Because you're, you're pretty much always going to be uncovered at the catch point. Now, and you, you, might, you get cushion, you get free releases, which is something yeah. that Matt Harmon has been harking on uh, for the past year. Um, it's like de- moving guys that maybe can't succeed on the outside anymore, like the Larry Fitzgerald, um, is an interesting way to continue a guy's career in the slot too. Yeah, like like Julian Edelman, like how often is he does he have someone within three yards of him at the line of scrimmage? Like never. And- never. I mean, you look at the press percentages on the outside corners compared to inside corners and it's like So so my day. my thought was that this is like a good way to measure wide receiver effectiveness. If if there are guys who consistently are able to beat their expected yards after the catch that has to be the mark of like, and I'm sure this has usefulness for outside guys too, but like specifically my thought was this is a very good way to evaluate explosive, like good slot wide receivers. Uh, what is, what is your conclusion, Ben? And what is your thought on how to use this best to evaluate player talent? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I can touch a little bit on um, the stuff we've gotten from the uh, expected yak model. Um, I would like to dive a little bit into like how we make the juice a little bit, um but yeah so like uh mike who i mentioned earlier mike band he came up with this uh, great idea of a yak success rate so it's basically like given your expected yak how often are you outperforming it um and uh if you look at the leaderboards for high volume guys last year like again it's it's you it makes a lot of sense it's your slot guys show up you know golden tate's up there jarvis landry's up there Camara's up there. Um, but what was really interesting is there were some tight ends up there too. So Gronk was number one. Kelsey was in the top 10. Um, so like these super athletic tight ends that also motion out in the slot pretty often. Yeah. Um, also show a consistent ability to beat their expectation. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, do you want me to like kind of explain to yeah, explain, the viewers explain, like how we... Like, yeah, explain the formula. So um, I guess like maybe a good place to start is like with how we create completion probability. There's an article out there, but basically like what we do is we take all these different factors um, and the model runs over and over in machine learning. Basically, I'm probably doing not the best job of explaining it, but basically randomly splits on different variables and then finds out which variables uh, lead to making distinction. The, biggest distinctions between passes and the same kind of mechanisms are going into the exact model. Um, and basically for the completion probability model, we take 36,000 uh, pass attempts that were um, over the 2016 and 2017 seasons. That's every pass attempt um, that wasn't a throwaway or spike. Um, and 70% of that data is used in that process I just mentioned where it trains the model um, 
in that process that just described and then 20% is used to validate it and then 10% is used to test and so for the completion probability model we got an R squared of uh, in the testing phase of 0 0.98 which is like absurd yeah that's really high um, so that was super cool that like given all these factors on a play you could say with a lot of certainty whether the likelihood of the uh, completion being actually uh, completed, um, which I thought was really cool. Um, and then for Exiac, uh, we did, it's, it's a little bit more complicated because it's not just like a probability of it happening. You're kind of trying to find, given all these different factors on the field, given like, so receiver speed and acceleration, how many, uh teammates are around him and their separation from him. how many uh um defenders are around him and their separation and their speeds and their accelerations and uh the direction that they're moving um so that's all put into the model but one thing that we did find um is that yards gained before closing um and closing is defined as the moment that a defender closes their separation to the yeah. ball carrier within one yard um is a really good it's a pretty good predictor of yak which makes a lot of sense uh the r squared on those two were um 0.64 um so that's still really good it's not 0.98 but you don't want it to be for something like yak because right. what we're really doing here is like you can think of uh closing as like a tackle opportunity um so um basically the player like the play the players are going to outperform that uh yards game before closing because those are the times that they break a tackle and make an exceptional play but when they get tackled like it's a pretty like at that closing point it's a pretty good uh predictor um so basically what we do is we first build a model to predict the yards game before closing um and then we use that to inform the uh expected yards after catch um and one interesting insight that I don't know if it's going to make the article, but like direction wise. Um, so the re we basically look at it. If the receiver is going straight downfield, it's a zero degree direction. Mm -hmm. He's going back towards his own end zone. It's 180 degrees. And then it goes all the way around to 360 is also going right toward the end zone. Sure. So like the highest yak is like kind of when they're at like a 30 or 330 degree angle so like they're they're towards the end zone but it's not like a 45 degree angle where it's completely horizontal yeah they're um, running they're running the, the slant zone. but yeah those slants and those posts exactly and like figuring out what kind of I, that's a relationship that i definitely want to dive into further but um yeah one more essential part of the um expected yak model is this idea of open space so pretty much the direction that a receiver is traveling in when they uh, gain possession of the ball. Um, if you look in at 85 degree angle on both sides and you pretty much cut it off. So open space is only upfield. Um, you basically what we do there is we count the number of defenders, the number of um, teammates, the, uh, locations, it speeds and accelerations of those teammates and, um, how, uh, and how close their average separation is and the closest separation and everything. 
and that's all thrown into the model and that ex get helps us get to this expected yak um so, which i think is really interesting so those are the two expected completion and expected yak like that's that's been tackled the machine learning has been done you guys are you guys are doing the articles those are there you if right now if you're listening to this you can go to next gen stats and you can go find that right now so what is an area of the game that uh, you guys have not yet fully done the machine learning on or, or player tracking that you guys want to get to, like the, the next couple of things that you guys are studying or researching at the next-gen office? Yeah. Um, so what we're working on next is um, the, the engineering team is working on a expected rushing yards model. Um, so that's kind of got similar mechanisms to the expected uh, – yards after catch model. Right. Um, and then definitely just other areas of the game that we can create expectations or probabilities for, like that's what we're going to be focused on in the off season. And like, maybe it's from a defensive coverage standpoint or something like that, or um, yeah, uh, that that's the kind of stuff that um, I think is going to be really revolutionary and cool. And like combining those, uh, models into like a bigger model that kind of maybe explains i don't know like how a quarterback distributes the ball or whatever like that's the kind right. of stuff that i think um these are just like the first steps in like a big process of like really making some cool insight about the game um and pretty much like what these are going to help us do is help understand uh division of credit better which i think um which is what people yeah. always say. That's like that's always the argument, right? Is that well, you can't yeah. know why so and so is. You can't distribute. Oh, this team is good because of this quarterback, or because of this wide receiver, or because of this running back. That's that's like the art. That's the problem with football analytics. Right? Yeah, and uh, I mean division of credit. I mean, there's been some great work on division of credit, and some people have their reservations, um, which are valid. But like uh, Ron Yurko's uh, war model. Uh, splitting it up into air yards and yak and rushing for quarterbacks. Like, I think that's pretty cool. When I was at SIS, um, we were working on our total points model, which is like an EPA player EPA model that is a bunch of division of credit, taking a bunch of like scheme data and stuff like that. And like specifically with yards after the catch, like we ended up deciding to split it pretty evenly um, between the quarterback and the, uh, receiver up to the point of first contact. Um, and the reason I did, the reason that we made that decision, I made a push for that was that, um, have you ever heard of a Bill Walsh's theory of yak? No, rack, but I love anything Bill Walsh has to say. Yeah. So the, I actually, I found out about this in uh, jaws book. Um, the seven games that changed the game, which is an awesome read. Definitely recommend it from like a scheme standpoint. I'm in, yeah. But um, it's basically that uh, yards after catch can be explained by receiver separation plus quarterback accuracy. So as soon as I read that, I was like, all right, like this is next gen. Like let's, and then obviously when I came here, there already had almost completed a model like this, but it's cool to see that everyone's on the same page. But um, PFF did some interesting stuff with like their advanced ball accuracy um, stuff that showed when like a ball was on frame compared to behind compared to like a perfect pass. Like the yak had like a pretty linear relationship with the accuracy of the ball. 
So I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, and like how that relates to the XYAC model. Um, I think a good way in my interpretation of it is that the area from the moment of the catch to the um, expected tackle opportunity or the expected yards uh, gained before closing location, um, that's like the muddled division of credit. The quarterback's accuracy helps maintain the speed um, and acceleration of the receiver. Um, the route concept and the quarterback's like ability to read and go through his progressions um, mm -hmm. determines how much open space the receiver has, and a receiver's route running ability obviously has a huge effect on how much separation they have. But um, yards gained after that tackle opportunity or at SIS, the way we did it, is we pretty much would look at the expected yak given a route and a coverage um, and a air yards. Um, and what we would do there is pretty much up to the point of contact, we'd split the uh, it pretty evenly. But after the point of contact is when you give most of that expected points added to the receiver. So like, that's kind of like a, yeah, division credit. We're, we're getting there. We're certainly not a hundred percent there yet, but I think it's, um, that's the Lord's work promising. And that's the that holy really grail. Promising. It's, it's really, really, it's really promising. Yeah. It's really promising to know that that stuff is being worked on by very capable people. Do you have a sense of if NFL teams already have this stuff in motion or have an, I have a way to evaluate this stuff that's even further along than what you guys have in the league office? Yeah, so um, I, I know a bunch of people on some teams um, and have some good relationships with them, and pretty much they just got the full data that was in their own team this year, and, like this season, starting this season. That's amazing. So, like, it's amazing that it would not be until this year. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's competition committee stuff. Um, there's some owners that might not want to – uh, I guess have to invest a lot of resources in it and think that it can get into an arms race situation. I didn't think um, that was what you were going to say. I thought you were going to say there was going to be some owners who would not want to share their data. The idea no. that there are NFL teams that are like, Oh, we don't want to spend the money on this is the most absurd. Yeah. Thing um, my whole I don't life. Know. Yeah. Um, but like, there's also the, also the NFL is like, it's a very, um, they don't, they value the, like the way that things are and they don't want to mess that up unless it's like proven. So everything needs to go through trial runs. Everything has to have very high standards and everything. Um, so it makes sense a little bit on like the uh, delay angle on that. end for me at least, um, yeah. but I know that from talking to people in the league, like they pretty much said like two, three years from now, every analytics department is going to double in size. They're going to need people to deal with this massive data. I haven't talked to any guys that I know this season much because they're in season and they're super busy, Yeah, but I'm sure they're doing some pretty interesting stuff with it. Um, and, and, you know, connecting that with charting data or whatever, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of edges that smart teams can use this for. Um, and I'm excited, hopefully, to get in on that side at one point um, and see what I can do with that. But yeah. So if you were, say, say um, some of the analytically inclined teams are like, all right, we're going to go send a bunch of our quality control coaches to the next-gen stats office. Like, like Belichick's not coming, McVay's not coming, but they're sending 
you know, their, their most favorite, uh, offensive quality coach. And you, you get, you get these guys in a room and you have 10, you got 10 coaches in there and you have, you have 15 minutes to really break down what you think is most important and what these teams need to know. What, what does your presentation include? What are you trying to send them back to the head coaches with? Um, I'm showing them pretty much like the tools that we have built for them in a way that can really reduce their scouting. Um, so like it's, you can type in, you can select all these different variables by like formation, by, um, which guys want in motion, which players are on the field together, like, um, that kind of stuff. And I think that could help them with tendency scouting, with opponent scouting, um, and cut down a lot of time so that they can actually focus on analyzing this data themselves. Because, you know, I, I'm still like relatively new with this. So I, I don't know if I'm exactly in the most qualified thing to be like, these are the things that you need to look right. at. But like, I think that's a great start. And then like, I think there's so many cool ideas, especially like, um, yeah, like in terms, there's so many cool ideas uh, on what we can glean from this like one of my favorites is the whole play action and just rushing effects play action debate um which uh is a fun one um but i want to personally study like the horizontal or vertical displacement of linebackers when there is play action on a play or and how like long they're delayed and stuff and like if you can quantify that even more and like listen these linebackers are literally moving it's not just like these EPA models that are showing that play action is just so much more effective and has nothing to do with how effective you run the ball or how often you run the ball. I think that would go a long way in, you know, moving the NFL average of play action from like 21% to like 35% or something like that. When you can actually show them with like the diagrams or something like the, this is how you're displaying these guys I yeah i think that actually would that. make way much i think that would make much more sense to like nfl people is to show them the diagram as opposed to just yeah. showing them the numbers that's like like uh when i talk to some coordinators and like baseball players like they th- these athletes they really like to see it in like a. a lot of them seem to be like visual learners in the sense that yeah like, they they want to see that it. makes complete sense yeah, and so they're not – so I don't even know what uh, what the type of learning would be where you just get the information from, like, from just, like, seeing the data in black and white like that. But, yeah, it seems to me that a lot of these people involved in coaching and in playing sports, they're, like, visual learners. And so being able to show them the diagram, I think that's, like – when we get there, that's a real tool to, I think, seeing more efficient play on the field because I think it would make more sense to them. Yeah, and, like, you know, show them the value that – this can bring um yeah I, I completely agree and uh i think that there's a lot of young innovative minds that are penetrating the the game right now um and the industry and it's pretty exciting um it's an exciting time especially this year with the explosion of offense and everything so great okay so we're gonna do one more topic before we go behind the paywall over to the patreon keegan actually did some original research on spread and empty formations that we're going to be talking about over on the patreon but uh before we get there so all of this conversation we've had it's very high level this is about the future of the game this is about coaches this is about offensive coordinators but 
most of the people listening to this, I assume, are probably not coaches. They're probably just dudes who like football. They like to play fantasy football. So in terms of like fantasy football or forecasting games, what value do you think right now that next-gen stats are adding for prognosticating these games? And do you see a way that they're not being used yet, but that they could be added into all these projection models that people have? Yeah, so like for for my department, as I said earlier, like our focus is to like explain the game better and uh, learn more about the game, and in in turn and in turn like teach our fans more about the game. It's definitely not from like a prediction or fantasy standpoint, but we do have guys like Graham Barfield who just started, who's awesome, um, and he loves our stuff and incorporates it into almost all of his articles. Um, I think it's a great way to start understanding um, some nuances of some matchups a little bit more. And I know that uh, your previous yeah, guest might not. Defenses don't matter. Defenses don't matter in terms in fine print when it comes to uh, prognosticating um, fantasy production. But maybe I think he said, um, and Josh, uh, me and Josh talk all the time. He's a great guy. Um, but I think he's said and clarified that. He, he just doesn't think the um, tools that we have to evaluate defense right now are that informative, and that might be why there is no signal. Um, and I think that there's definitely potential um, for better and more predictive uh, ways to look at defense. Um, something something in the future, I would like we're to, just something... not focused on it personally um i would like to see is if the if um like there's a defensive skill in limiting expected yards after catch like if there's a year, yeah like if there's a year over year uh like if a defensive coordinator of every year his defense is top five in limiting expected yards after the catch like i think that's something that has the ability to be like mega predictive yeah no i i definitely agree and i think scheme plays such a role um and you know we're, we're working on route classification and coverage classification right now um and also play uh like like play similarity but as of right now we're not there yet um that, that's also using like machine learning models and everything but there are charting organizations like sis or pff that do have that data and are looking at um scheme maybe not from the fantasy perspective but just from like a effectiveness perspective like i know the off the charts football podcast has been really great this season um in terms of uh looking at like which traditional uh coverage three beater routes are um the most effective from an epa standpoint and from a uh, success rate standpoint like so like there's definitely some people that are doing some cool scheme stuff on how these are which ones are the most effective um and then like i think that can extend kind of like with the whole thing about the falcons from like a fantasy perspective the falcons defense is like a cover three and do cover threes like funnel isn't not a specific defense thing but do cover threes and a specific ways of running the cover three like give up those uh passes to running backs in order to um, because they think that they can limit the yak there with fast linebackers. Unfortunately, Deion Jones is hurt right now, but like that seems to be like their philosophy um, and stuff like that. 
There we go. Perfect. I think that's a, that's a great way to end this version of the podcast. If this conversation was interesting to you, we are going to continue it. Literally taking you behind the curtain, I'm going to stop this recording and then start it again. And we're going to go over and we're going to talk about uh, some sports info solution stuff.